Gospels, uh, go to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk 3 will be our text this morning. We are concluding our series entitled Uncertain, which we started just a few weeks ago. And so be turning in your Bible to that. But as you are, we need to have just a a minute or two of kind of a faith family uh, discussion. So if you'd gather around, uh, some of you will notice in your insert or in your bulletin, there's an insert about the, uh, the roof. And I don't know if you and your family have ever been uh, charting along, trying to attack a goal like uh, save money in savings or pay off debt or something like that, and then something comes up that kind of takes your attention for the short term. Maybe it's a surgery or something like that. Well, that happens not only in our families, but also in a church family. Uh, As some of you know, we've been uh, trying as Berean for some time to get out of debt, uh, in fact, our hope has been that by the end of our year of Jubilee, which is the end of uh, April, our 50 years as a church, that we would be out of debt. Uh, we currently have about 128000 left uh, on that debt. And so we've been targeting that. We've been going after that. And in the meantime, there's something we've been trying to patch and, and put off, but it's come to the point where we can't put it off any longer. And that is we have to repair and replace some of our roof. And uh, so you see the breakdown of that in the bulletin. This is an urgent need uh, that over the next four weeks through our building fund, uh, we are trying to raise about $125,000 to be able to repair our roof uh, because you think about all the snow we just had, we would not want to be sitting in here and then boom, uh, it snows in here. So we need to get this done and I have heard nothing but story after story of the generosity here at Berean and so we still want to pay off that debt, we're still attacking that, we're still trusting God in faith that maybe that will even be gone in April. Uh, But we also right now need us as a church to be focused, in addition to supporting church ministries, to the building fund so that we can do some much needed uh, repair. And so I just want to give that word of challenge to you. Um, That's just a little faith family talk that we need to deal with. But it's important that you be aware of that and that all of us together uh, contribute to, um, to make that happen. All right? You ready for a backup? I'm kind of sad this morning. We're finishing the series Uh, I've been so blessed by the feedback that I've received of how uh, God has spoken to you through this. But this morning we conclude with Habakkuk chapter 3, and I'm going to ask if you're able to, to please stand for the honor of reading God's Word. We're going to look at the whole chapter this morning, so just put your seatbelt on. We may be here a while, but for our scripture reading, we're just going to read verse 16 uh, down through 18. Habakkuk chapter 3. Verse 16, this is God's word to us this morning. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. There be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? God, help me now. Speak with boldness Your Word. Help those who are here this morning in times of uncertainty to have faith. So come and meet us now and speak to us through your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
As she stared into the distance, all Florence could see was fog. Her body was numb, her endurance was fading because she'd been in icy cold waters for over 16 hours. Florence Chadwick was trying to become the first person to swim the 22-mile distance from Catalina Island to the California shore. She had already been the first to swim the English Channel. And in addition to the cold temperatures, there was also other obstacles she had to face. For instance, at one point while she was swimming, sharks came around in the area. And they had to chase the sharks away with rifle fire. And I don't know about you, but that would have been it for me. I would have been out of the water. But, but Florence's mom and her trainer was in the boat next to her, and they kept encouraging her, you can do it, keep going, keep going. But eventually, Florence did something because she was so physically exhausted that she'd never done ever before in her life. She quit. She quit. And when they pulled her out of the water and they got her into the boat and put some warm things on her, they quickly discovered, much to her dismay, that she was less than a half of a mile from the shore. In fact, they interviewed her afterwards at the kind of press conference. One of the questions they asked her was, why did you quit? And do you know what she said? She didn't say anything about cold waters. She didn't say anything about sharks. She didn't say anything about physical exhaustion. Do you know what she said? Quote, all I could see was fog. In fact, she went on to say, I'm not trying to make excuses, but I believe that if I would have been able to see the land, I would have made it. You see, sometimes, Berean, the fog of uncertainty has a way of consuming us, doesn't it? We stare into that fog and we, we say, how much longer till I get caught up on bills? Will my marriage ever get better? Will the cancer go away? Will my situation ever change? And we can only ask those questions for so long until we start saying, I'm not sure I can swim anymore. The fog of uncertainty has a way of consuming our lives. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been studying about a man in the Bible who's been living in the fog. Nationally, he looks at his people who are from top to bottom have completely forsaken God. Theologically, he's got some big, heavyweight, varsity, serious questions, not only for God, but about God. Because as we've stated several times, God told Habakkuk that he was going to send the nation of Babylon to judge his own people, the nation of Judah. And while Habakkuk agreed that something should be done about this, this idea sounds like a terrible idea. Stephen Colbert once said um, that even though the Pope is inerrant, even he can be wrong. You just think about that. Habakkuk says, God, I know that what you do is right, but this feels so wrong. And what has God been trying to teach Habakkuk throughout this book? You have to have faith. Chapter 1, verse 5, I am doing a work. 
Chapter 2, verse 4, the just shall live by faith. Chapter 2, verse 14, my glory will cover the earth. There's been these little glimmers of hope that's saying, Habakkuk, listen, you've got to look beyond the fog. And Habakkuk here in chapter 3, we find him after all of this roller coaster of life and questioning in it, as an emotional wreck. I, I want to show you the emotional state that he's in in verse 16. Look at that with me. Habakkuk 3, verse 16. Look at the beginning of this. I hear... And my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Notice that first phrase again, my body trembles. The English doesn't quite capture the Hebrew. The Hebrew is this, my bowels shake. Now there's a modern expression of that that I'm not going to use in church. I'd be in trouble. But let's just say, if you've ever had kids or been around kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Looks like that. <laughs> right? I know you wanted that image at church today, didn't you? There's your Hebrew lesson for the day, what it means to be shaking in your bowels. But that's what Habakkuk's doing. My bowels shake, my lips quiver, rottenness enters my bones. This guy has been on a roller coaster of emotions because he's grieved for his people. He doesn't understand who God is. He's wrestling with all of that. He knows that difficult days are on their way. He has been on a roller coaster ride. In fact, as I, as I studied this, I couldn't help but remember a story I'd read one time about a, a, a parakeet named Chippy. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. This lady, evidently, of course it would have to be a lady because no man would ever own a parakeet. Any real man would own a parakeet, right? Much less name it Chippy. Anyways, that's a whole nother sermon. This lady had a parakeet named Chippy, and she decided one day that she was going to clean his cage out with the vacuum cleaner. What? You don't even know where I'm going. Here's how the story went. She was cleaning out the cage, the phone rang, and Chippy's owner reached to answer the phone when all of a sudden she heard slop, and Chippy was gone. The lady, I know, it's like some of you are like, ha, 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 these are like, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I'm with the laughing group, just so you know. The lady zipped open the vacuum cleaner, pulled out the bag, and there was Chippy covered in dirt. She ran quickly into the bathroom where she washed him in cold water in the sink, only to watch the bird shiver in the cold. Aww. <laughs> so she turned on the hair dryer and dried him off. In a matter of moments, he was sucked into a vacuum cleaner, washed in the sink, and dried with a hair dryer. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A reporter who evidently heard this story a few days later called Chippy's owner to ask how the parakeet was doing, and the owner replied, quote, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> he just sits and stares. <laughs> and I don't send me any hate emails for that story. 
But you know, I thought about that story because I thought that has to be how Habakkuk feels, man. He has been going through the roller coaster of emotions. He's grieved for his people. He doesn't understand the things of God, the highs and lows of faith. Listen, Brian, don't ever let someone tell you that the Christian life is easy. And don't ever let someone tell you that Christians are supposed to have it all together. Read the Bible. It's filled, the Psalms for instance, Job, Habakkuk, stories all throughout the Bible of people who struggled so much in life they wondered, I don't know if I can swim anymore. You see, sometimes we have a tendency to think that if I become a Christian, everything's going to be great and, and my marriage will be great and my kids will always obey and I'll do this and God will always do that. Tell that to Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers in history who at times in his ministry couldn't even get to the pulpit because of depression. Tell that to David Brainerd, one of our greatest missionaries historically who died of tuberculosis at 29. Tell John Owen, one of the greatest theological minds in church history who had 12 children only to live to see 11 of them die. Or Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, the great missionary who watched three husbands die. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. Habakkuk is in an emotional wreck. His bowels shake. His lips quiver. His legs are trembling beneath him. But he has a decision to make, and it's the same decision you and I must make. Are you going to live by faith or not? Do you remember that, remember that scene in Shawshank Redemption when uh, Andy Dufresne and, and Red, are, they're in the prison and they're leaned up against the, the prison wall, and they're talking about life on the outside, and one of the most famous lines from that movie is when Andy turns to Red and says, you know, it really comes down to a simple choice. Either get busy living or get busy dying. And at some point, Christian, you've got to stop talking about faith. You've got to stop reading about faith. You've got to stop listening to sermons about faith. And you've got to start living by faith. And that is exactly where Habakkuk is at in chapter 3. And so what does he do? Well, i got great news for you. He activates his faith. He puts his faith into action. And I want to show you in chapter 3 how he does it. The first thing he does is he prays. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Siganoth, which is just a real fancy word used for a, a psalm. In fact, you'll also notice in some of your margins the word Selah, Selah, several times, kind of off to the side. Here's the short. Habakkuk, in his emotional state, sets down and he writes a prayer song or a prayer psalm. It's a prayer to God, and it's a prayer for His people to help them in their uncertainty. And notice, there's a couple of things that he prays right out of the gate. Look at verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, 
remember mercy. Notice there's three things in that verse Habakkuk does. First of all, he says that um, in the midst of the years, revive it. That is, God, you've spoken. You've told me what you're going to do. And so my response to that is, do it. No more personal agenda, no more questions, no more talk about Babylon. God, if this is your will, it is well with my soul. It's like in Ezekiel, if you've ever studied that book, Ezekiel, God speaks to him about his judgment, and he he writes it on a scroll, and then God tells Ezekiel to eat that scroll, and he eats it, and Ezekiel says it tastes like chicken. No, he doesn't say that. (laughs) He says it tastes like honey. That is, the scroll that speaks about the judgment of God tastes sweet? What? What, is, what, is, what does that mean? It means this. I am now aligning God not to my purposes but to yours. And Habakkuk says, he comes to the point in this prayer where he says, revive it. This is what you've said you're going to do? Do it. Secondly, he says, in the midst of the years, make it known. That is, I'm no longer concerned ultimately about the existence of Judah. I'm concerned about the name and renown of God. There is something more important going on here, and that is that you are known, that you are lifted up. Yahweh, that you make yourself known to your people. So revive it, make it known, and oh, here's the prayer of a Christian in uncertainty, he says, but in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. In other words, oh, get this, Brian, don't just take me out, but get me through it. And that's the prayer of a mature Christian. And it doesn't mean that you can't pray for deliverance, but it does mean when you know that deliverance is not coming, your prayer is that of prayer of endurance. In difficulty, God, be merciful. Habakkuk has now surrendered to God. And does anybody, anybody here the last few weeks notice a change in our friend Habakkuk? What was he in chapter 1? When are you going to do this? Why do you sit idly by? When, why, how, what, over here, what's he saying? Have your own way, God. I surrender to you. He's a changed man. And why is he changed? Because he is going to the Lord in prayer. I've asked a couple of volunteers to come out to help me kind of illustrate this. Uh, This is an illustration I saw one time at a conference and want to share with you. Uh, I'm going to introduce these guys. These are the bodyguards to the lead pastor. And so if you, uh, you mess with me, I'm going to sick them on you, all right? Now I'm going to ask them to put a little pressure in on me, okay? Now have any of you ever felt in life in this kind of a situation? Like you just felt stuck, you felt the pressure of life, things were uncertain. And, and, and the point of the text is how do we get out of this? And there's several things that we can do in the midst of the pressure. Sometimes we flee. So we just run. But here's the problem. When you run, God will make you repeat the class. Some of you relate to that. Uh, Yeah, yeah, confession time. You drop out too early in your moment of uncertainty, God makes you repeat it because you haven't learned what you need to learn. So squeeze back in. Be gentle, right? (laughs) So you can flee. The other thing you can do is fight. So you just try to fight back, and I'm not doing a very good job here, but here's the problem. You ever, you ever tried to fight against God and win or won? 
No one ever has. So you don't fight your way out of uncertainty. The third thing you can do is try to fix it. Are any, any of y'all fixers? Like, I can just fix it. And so you just start, if you were a better husband, if you were a better child, if you were a better boss, and you just start pointing fingers thinking that you can fix everything. But it never works because you don't have the power to fix your time of uncertainty. So squeeze in here. So what do you do? You don't flee. You don't fight. You don't try to fix it. The only way you find peace in your moment of uncertainty is to fall. On your knees. Surrendered to God. Have your own way, God. Have your own way. That's where Habakkuk had to get to. Give these guys a big hand. Thanks, gentlemen. Now, 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 get back to the text and think about that imagery. Habakkuk, he's tried to fight. He's tried to wrestle. He's tried to ask questions. He's tried to get out of it. But where does he ultimately activate his faith? On his knees in prayer. And I'm not talking about some type of a surfacey prayer, but a bearing your soul to God prayer. Someone told John Newton one time, I just don't get anything out of prayer. And John Newton said, well, I can promise you, you won't get anything out of not praying. So Berean, get on your knees in that moment of uncertainty. But that's not all that Habakkuk does. He doesn't just pray, but notice that he also begins to ponder the past. You, you'll pick this up in verse 3. Let me just highlight a couple of things here and then tell you what he's doing, I think. Uh, chapter, verse 3, he, sa- he mentions Timon and Mount Paran. And then you notice in verse 4, he starts talking about the brightness that's like light and, and rays flashing. In verse 5, he talks about pestilence and plagues. In verse 6, he talks about the nations being shaken and the mountains trembling. Here's what kind of short and sweet Habakkuk does next. He prays, and then he recounts in his mind the Exodus story. In other words, he goes back to the things that God has done in the past that has proven His faithfulness. And there's two specific things in the rest of this chapter that he does when he's thinking historically. Number one is he recounts God's glory. He starts talking about, you know, one look from you, God, and nations tremble. Any of you ever had that parent that, you know, just one look from them and you're like, okay, I'm straightening up. Habakkuk says, man, God, you, you just look at the nations and they shake in their boots. Uh, he, he talks about the mountains tremble. How many of you have ever been to the mountains and you've just stood in awe? Well, here's an insight. The mountains stand in awe of God. So if you stand in awe of the mountains and the mountains stand in awe of God, how much more should you stand in awe of God? Sometimes... In the midst of your uncertainty, what you don't need is a vacation or a chat with your friend. What you need is to sit down and recall how glorious and great and majestic God is. Be still and know that I am God and rest there. But he doesn't just recall who God is, he recounts what God has done in verse 13. Notice this. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head 
of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of the warriors. Verse 15, you trampled the sea with your horses and surging of mighty waters. What's he, what's he talking about here? He ta- he's thinking about what God did for his own people in the Exodus event. Now, now, now come into Habakkuk's thinking because this is what I think he's doing. Now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Things are uncertain right now. But, but I seem to recall a time in our people's history when life was kind of uncertain too. Like when we were in Egypt... We had no idea what the future would hold. We were making bricks for Pharaoh, and everybody was sitting around saying, what was all that covenant with Abraham talk? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes plagues, and then there's Moses, and we walked out of Egypt on our own, and we walked on dry land through a parted sea, and we came to a mountain where we saw God's glory, and eventually we went into the promised land. What's he saying? God has a history of rescuing his people. And I think Habakkuk is saying, in a sense, God, far be it for me to think that you can't do another Exodus event in the history of our people now. Isn't this, listen, 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 you're in the midst of your uncertainty. What if God, right now in your life, right now in your uncertainty, is doing something that will be a stake in the ground for you years to come that will demonstrate to you His faithfulness? What if God is doing an exodus event in your life right now? That's what Habakkuk's doing because when he looks historically at the faithfulness of God, he realizes God always rescues his people. And and we know as Christians what? That the ultimate exodus was not Egypt. The ultimate exodus was Calvary. When Jesus rescued us from our sins. And so when when, when we just stop and think about the faithfulness of God and ponder who He is and what He has done, we activate our faith and have peace in the uncertainty. And then notice He does one more thing. So He's praying about the future. He's looking at the past of what God's done historically. And look at the last part of verse 16 of chapter 3. Yet... I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. All right, now, if you've been following the story, what has God been trying to get Habakkuk to do? To wait. And what is Habakkuk finally doing in chapter 3? He is waiting. He is patient. He is living by faith. He's scared to death. His bowels are shaking, but he is trusting God. And what's interesting here is that um, his circumstances haven't changed. Babylon is still coming, and Judah is still going to get theirs. God hasn't changed at all from chapter 1 to chapter 3, but do you know who has changed? Habakkuk. 
Because, come here, faith has a way of transforming your life. It doesn't take away the pain, but it will change your perspective. And that's precisely what's happened in his life. Do you remember in Luke 8 when the disciples were in the boat and there was this big storm? They were scared to death. And Jesus comes walking on the water out to them. And Peter, you know, being the overzealous one, like jumps out and he's going to run to Jesus. And he walks on water for a little while and then he starts to sink. And what does Jesus say to him? Peter, where is your faith? He doesn't say, you need faith. He says, where is it? Why does, why does Jesus say that? Because it doesn't do any good to have faith and never use it. And for some of us, faith is like that, that sweater in the closet we never wear or that car in the, the drive that we never drive. It is something we don't ever use. And if you don't ever use it, why do you need it? My point is, faith is meant to be used. And Habakkuk finally is at that point where he's putting it into action. And why is he able to do it? And I think verse 17, and we close with this, there's been a shift in Habakkuk's heart, his affections. So he's emotionally crazy, but he's starting to put faith into action by praying and looking at God's faithfulness and learning to be patient. But why is he able to do that? It's because something has changed in his heart that allows him to do it, and we see it in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Now, this is probably the most common verses in all of Habakkuk. In fact, some of you may have them crocheted on the wall or on a Christian coffee cup or t-shirt. The problem with that is that this imagery is absolute, complete devastation. It is economic ruin. Habakkuk here, I think, even though this is set up with if statements, Habakkuk knows this is exactly what the future holds. Namely, everything from delicacies like figs, which was a delicacy to even fruit, which was used for wine. Uh, olive, olives were used for a lot of things, and olive oil was used for lighting. Uh, crops producing no food, that, that was their entire economic structure. If they had a bad year in crops, that meant next year would probably be bad, and then the next year would be worse, and so it's a picture of a future that's not so bright. There's no herd in the stall. That is, there's no way of having money. Um, uh, you've heard God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. What does that mean? That God is extremely wealthy. And so I thought, we don't live in the ancient Near East. You and I don't deal with figs and olives. So, so what would that look like for us? And so just a couple of things here that I, I thought about. It means like, for instance, no more coffee. Now, for some of you, I don't need to say anything else. Like, that's devastation for you. No coffee. But no delicacies. No coffee, no chocolate, no desserts. Any of the little things that you typically enjoy 
are absolutely gone. No electricity. And so therefore your iPad, your cell phones, your television, the lights in your home, everything, none of it works. Water. Imagine if every single lake, and this is insane, imagine if every single, single lake in the Twin Cities area was dry as a bone and there was no water at all in the lakes. Or your family, gone, and you'll never see them again. Or your wallet, completely empty, you don't have any money. You don't have a job to make money. And there's no jobs anywhere at all that are even hiring for you to try to find a way to make money. It simply means this. You have nothing, which means you don't even have the ability to get something. So what's the one thing in your life if you woke up tomorrow without it? You'd be devastated. And here's my question for you. Would God, without all those things, be enough? Because the shift in Habakkuk's heart is, I'm no longer finding joy in Judah. I'm no longer finding joy in any of the things of this life. My joy is in God because he's the only thing that will never be taken away. And that's where my security comes, and that's why I'm able to live by faith, because if I have God, I have enough. It's like when you were early on in your marriage, you had shag carpet and Taco Bell, but you didn't care because you had love, right? When your faith is focused on the right thing, you can endure anything. Jesus in Luke 10 said to the 72 who returned with joy, and they were saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Jesus says, well, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice in your wealth. Rejoice in the fact that you have the ultimate wealth. Don't rejoice in this life. Rejoice that you have eternal life with God. Don't rejoice in man's approval. Rejoice that you have the ultimate approval, the approval of God. Don't find joy in anything that can be here one day and gone the next. Put your joy in the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And only until your joy is there will you be, active, be able to activate your faith here. And so Habakkuk's now able to say, take it all. I don't want this to happen. I wish there were another way. I've pleaded with you if there's another way out, but there's not. So I surrender. You're faithful, and you're my joy. And so I want to ask you, Brian, 
are you living by faith? Are you taking the step of faith? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this morning with um, a scene. Oh, and I, I hope it'll, it'll, it'll be the image that summarizes these past four weeks. Some of you know it. It's where in Indiana Jones, he comes to the edge of that cliff. Do you remember that scene? And he looks down, and all he sees is black. It's all uncertainty. And he has to learn, like we have to learn, to take a leap of faith. from the lion's head the entire lesson of Habakkuk right there. When you're standing at the edge and you don't see the ground. When you're swimming as hard as you can swim and all you see is fog. The lesson of Habakkuk to us is that the just, and why don't you say it with me, the just shall live by faith. Pray with me. Lord, I hope that this has encouraged your people this morning. There are some right now when they look ahead, all they see is fog. There are some in this room who've never trusted in Jesus and their life is everything but foggy. And Lord, I pray that this morning you would cut through that and bring the, insert, bring the certainty of faith and the certainty of your peace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.